right, we're in the double digits with Cosmic Dragon. This is episode 10. I'm Sean Grigsby, your host. We're going to be talking to Brian Camp, whose debut novel, The City of Lost Fortunes, releases in April from John Joseph Adams Books. And before we jump into our interview, since I have a captive audience, no matter where you are, if you're walking outside, working out at the gym, driving to work, riding the subway, all that cool stuff, I want to let you know about my debut novel, Smoke Eaters, which releases from Angry Robot Books in March, March 1st for ebook and paperback in the UK, and then March 6th for paperback in the US and Canada. Smoke Eaters, in plain three words, is firefighters versus dragons. Also takes place in the future. It's a mashup of science fiction, fantasy, horror, adventure, all that cool stuff. I'd love for you to check it out. It's on NetGalley right now. So if you are a book reviewer, blogger, anything like that, you can apply on NetGalley to read Smoke Eaters before anybody else. And if you like it, which I hope you will, I'd love for you to leave a review on Goodreads, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Google Books, iTunes, wherever. Uh, and tweet. I'm on Twitter, at Sean Grigsby. It's spelled S-E-A-N-G-R-I-G-S-B-Y. You can talk to me about anything. I love interacting with people who like my stuff. So, let's jump in with Brian Camp. We're going to be talking about the City of Lost Fortunes. Roll that beautiful bean footage. You're a New Orleans native, and uh, the City of Lost Fortunes comes out April 18th. 17th. See, this is why we needed this second <laughs> round, because I was right. a day off. Okay, April 17th from John Joseph Adams Books. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about the City of Lost Fortunes. So, um, the, the premise of the book uh, is that all the gods of different mythologies are real. Uh, and uh, I get into syncretic myth a good bit. Um, that's the idea that uh, well, not the idea, actually, the, the, the actual reality of the fact that, uh, you know, certain myths get shared, um, appropriated, uh, forced, adopted uh, across cultures, you know. So uh, in voodoo, for instance, uh, which is a big um, influence here in New Orleans, uh, in voodoo, for instance, when... Um, Africans were forced into slavery, uh, one of the things that they were forced into, um, especially in Haiti and and New Orleans, uh, was Catholicism. Uh, And so they basically told these people who had a rich cultural tradition, you're Catholic now, and these are the things that you worship, and these are the things that you pray to. Uh, And so uh, the slaves, um, and I'm I'm being very uh, simplistic here, just for the purposes of explanation, uh, but the slaves, you know, said, well, okay, St. Peter is the one who opens the gates uh, to the afterlife. That's a lot like Legba. So, sure, we'll worship St. Peter. But they really just kept worshiping Legba and calling him St. Peter. And so uh, those two traditions kind of kind of uh, overlap together. Um, and, it, you know, you've got things like, um, well, I, I, I can't use that example, actually, because that kind of spoils something in the book. But okay. uh, there are, there are, for instance, uh, certain Greek uh, figures who are kind of syncretized with 
uh, uh, Egyptian myths and things like that. Uh, and so the idea that I kind of came up with um, was that if these gods are real and they're they're immortal and they're they're changing cultures and things like that, then for them, just changing a name um, might be enough to move from one pantheon to another. Um, and the actual plot of the book, uh, my main character, Jude Dubosson, uh, is a demigod. He knows his, his father uh, was a god, but he never met his father, so he doesn't know which god his father was. Uh, and he, from his father, he gets the ability to find lost things, um, which, is, which is very useful uh, right up until Katrina, um, when the city um, is full of lost things, and he's kind of overwhelmed um, by this ability that's been what he based his whole life on. Uh, and so he, he, he retreats into kind of a, a hermitage. Um, and then he gets a, uh, a summons from the fortune god of New Orleans because he owes that, that particular god a favor. Uh, and he's got to show up to a poker game. And at the poker game is Legba from Voodoo, uh, Toth from Egyptian myth, uh, a, a vampire, an angel, uh, and the fortune god of New Orleans. And um, at that game, or after the game, actually, uh, the fortune god gets murdered, and he's got to figure out who killed the fortune god and why. And, uh, and so that's the that's the crux of the novel. See, you uh, describing it a bit more, actually, I can see how one would uh, compare it to American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Right. Um, yeah, and I... Uh, <laughs> It's funny, I, I have to tell people, I came up with a lot of this stuff before I read that book, you know, uh, I mean, I, I had read Sandman, so I was already a, a gaming fan, um, and I had that, that experience that I'm sure a lot of writers get, where you're explaining something that you have just kind of in, in idea form in your head, you know, I explained it to a friend of mine, and they were like, oh, you mean like American Gods? And so I, I got a copy of the book, and I read it, and that was... That was basically the closest I came to never writing this book because right. it was like, oh, you know, Gaiman did it already. Um, but you know, we have we have our points of departure, you know. So if uh, you know if you're if you're a American Gods fan or if you're not, it you know still might be a good book for you. Yeah, like you said uh, yesterday, it depends on uh, it, whether or not the person you're talking to liked American Gods or not, and you could say, oh yeah, it's just like right. it, or. Oh no, right. it's it's it, you know it has similarities, but it, it's completely different. Right. Uh, and you talking about the whole um, thing about religions and, and cultures overtaking, but in things getting transformed. I mean, that's happened so much in history. Uh, you mentioned it about voodoo, but it, even with uh, Yule and Christmas, right? Uh, you know, and people are like, "Well, Jesus is the reason for the season," and, and I'm like, <laughs> "Not really." <laughs> Right, it, you know, but people get pissed off about that. It's like, well, he's it's about him now, um, and Easter, same thing. Easter comes right. from Easter of the Dawn, but right. which is an American gods for those who haven't read the book or seen the show, or seen the show. Yeah, uh, yeah, that it's a yeah that that would be kind of the uh, the appropriation thing, and I imagine that some gods uh, and this you know this was something I kind of picked up from American Gods, but. You know, I imagine that some gods would, you know, really appreciate, you know, the new 
the new, the chance to be something new, and I think some guys would be pretty pissed about it. So that's a that's a fun place for tension. I think I don't oh, yeah. get into that too much in the book. The book really tends to be more of a, a murder mystery and a, and a really New Orleans centered kind of thing. So that's one of the the ways that it separates itself from American Gods. Gaiman Gaiman wanted to talk about everything. You know, he wanted to he 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 saw the whole of America. Um, and I, you know, I've been around a, a little bit, but I, I know New Orleans much better than I know America. So um, that's that was really my focus. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second, because you started this book in the back of your parents' car as you guys were evacuating from right. New Orleans when Katrina hit. Well, yeah. So just to the one point of clarification, um, I didn't actually live in the city Um before the storm, um, which, you know, I lived on the North Shore, uh, the north of Lake Pontchartrain, which is right across from New Orleans. And basically, if you're from anywhere else up to and including North Louisiana, I lived in New Orleans. Uh, you know, the town that I lived in is a suburb, but it's really important to people from here, you know, that that you don't you don't claim it if you didn't really experience it, if that makes sense. Um, oh, yeah. It's kind of like uh, this is our thing, not yours. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, so, you know, just to, to kind of briefly go through the story, my, uh, I was in an undergraduate, uh, fiction class with Bev Marshall, uh, a, a, a Southern writer. And, um, we, we had to write a scene, uh, or actually we had to, to write a, a piece of description. We had to describe a room essentially. Uh, and I was also taking a detective fiction class. So I had that kind of noir, um, you know, smoky backroom illegal gambling kind of thing in the back of my head too so i described a, a poker game going on uh, and then she said now add something unusual to it so i had an angel sitting at the table um and then she said okay now take that description and turn it into a scene or a story or something else uh, and that was our assignment and i went home with that that and that poker just that the description of that poker room is right uh, towards the beginning of the novel actually still um, and so I, you know, <clears throat> we, uh, what, what, pe I don't think a lot of people who aren't from the Gulf South understand, uh, is that for the most part before Katrina, um, when, when hurricanes came, hurricanes came and went and sure there was destruction and sure there was, was problems, but if you had the means to leave, it was a minor it was a it was a temporary i won't say minor it was a temporary kind of problem um so you know when when we evacuated i thought it was for the weekend you know i thought it was a, a couple of days um i had class on thursday so i had to bring my homework with me and so it's it, it's really weird thinking back on it now you know how big a deal the book has been in my life and how big a deal the storm has been in so many people's lives uh but at the time it was just I had to keep, I had to work because, you know, the class was coming on Thursday, which turned out not to be the case. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was a, it was way more traumatic, uh, I guess, than people anticipated, which caused all kinds of problems. Was that something you talk about in City of Lost Fortunes about yeah, the aftermath? But, no, um, I, uh, that's really not in, in some ways my story to tell, you know, right. We, we came home and we were incredibly fortunate. Um, we we had a little bit of damage to our roof, but aside from that, um, 
you know, I went back to school, my, my family went back to work, that kind of thing. Um, and so the, the actual, and, and besides, you know, that, that story has been told, um, and by probably much better writers than, than me. So, um, I, I moved past the, the immediate aftermath. Um, and so the story is set in 2011. It's about six years after the storm. Uh, and so it's, it's less about, you know, kind of the triage kind of recovery and more about the, the moving on kind of recovery, if that makes any sense. Right. Totally. So let's talk about your journey to this point, because City of Lost Fortunes is your debut novel. Right. And uh, talking with you, it's basically, it took a decade um, (laughs) to get to this point. Uh, And you're represented by Seth Fishman. But uh, talk, talk, tell us about, and you also went to Clarion West. Actually, let's talk about Clarion West first, because I knew that that kind of, tell us about how you got involved in that and what your experience was like and the people you you got to meet and, and hear from. So, um, Clarion West is, um, it, it's hard to, to put into words, I think. Uh, it's, uh, it's a really intense experience. Uh, it's, it's a great one if you can make the sacrifices to, to be there. Um, and I, the way I, the way I got in is, you know, I, the, the way I got in is the way I've done everything good in my life, uh, is I said I couldn't do it and my wife made me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, the MFA program at UNO, I said, you know, there's no chance of me getting in. And she basically sat me down and made me do the application. Uh, and the same with Clarion West, you know, I, I had some short stories. I wasn't really, uh, getting any traction in terms of getting them published. Um, I worked on this book for, for a while. Um, and then I showed her, you know, this, this thing. Um, and I showed her the, the list of instructors uh and she's not much of a a sci-fi fantasy reader um so when she knew the names of some of the instructors she was like well you have to apply to this um and so uh funnily enough the the story that i thought was my best story um i went to uh, i was filling out the application and you know uh i was i was right up at the deadline uh, I was all set to send it in, you know, and there's, there's a page limit requirement and, uh, uh, you know, you know, so that you don't send in a novella to try to get it, take it into the program. Right. Uh, and, and so I was all set to send it in and I looked at the requirements one last time, uh, and it said, and, and my story was in times new Roman and it said it had to be in courier new. <laughs> so, wow. uh, my, my story just made the, the page requirements in times new Roman but then when I switched it over to Courier New, it was like 18 pages too long. So Holy I, you know, shit! I, I kind of freaked out. I was like, "Well, that's it. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not supposed to be there. I'm not going to make it in, whatever." And then finally, I was like, "Well, okay, let me." So I found the shorter story and I kind of, you know, edited it, real like, and within the, an hour, um, and and that made the requirements and I sent it in. So you know, and then I was like, "Well." I mean, in that kind of situation, you're definitely not getting in, right? There's always next year, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I got in, so uh, <laughs> you know, and I probably and I I probably wouldn't have if, uh, if if I had sent in the other story. Um, but you know, it's it's this it's this weird kind of headspace um, because you're sitting in a room 
with with these 17 other writers who have made the same sac or similar or even more sacrifice in some cases than you to be there and who have demonstrated the talent and the kind of um, thoughtfulness about writing in order to be in the room. And you're already really impressed with just the, the classmates that you have. Uh, and then in walks, you know, one of these instructors. Um, and the way that I describe them is they're, they're people who get the F word in the middle of their name. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> you know, like you're, you're, you're waiting for, for class to start and then Chuck fucking Polinick walks in or <laughs> Kelly fucking Link, right? Or George uh, R.R. Fuck. I'm wondering where the fucking would go in George R.R. Is it before the R's or after? Well, um, yeah, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> How about between the R's? George, George R. R. Fucking R. Martin. Martin. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, 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 you gotta, you gotta, you gotta trill the R. Uh, <laughs> I guess. But yeah, so, uh, so that's that was that was that experience. That's awesome. And I know you mentioned that uh, you'd gone to Clarion West with uh, Elise Helms, a uh, fellow Angry Robot author like myself. Uh, right. Henry, is it Lian? Lian, yes. Yep. Um, uh, he wrote, um, he, he's got a book coming out, uh, Peace Proud Chen, The Future Legend of Skate and Sword. Uh, it's Kung Fu figures, it's, it's middle grade, Kung Fu figure skating um, at at a kind of a finishing school, which is kind of like Hogwarts if the whole faculty were made up of Slytherins. Uh, <laughs> it's really good. Uh, and that's a series, so that we'll, get, we'll get some of those. Ice skating kung fu, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Helen Marshall was in our class. Uh, she won the British Fantasy Award a couple of years back. Um, Indra Das, he wrote The Devourers, which um, as, much as, I, as much as I like my own book and as much as I like our, our peers' books, uh, I think his book, I think The Devourers is the best uh, long-length thing to come out of our, our group so far. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, I could I should basically just list the names of, of the rest of my class because uh, we're all still writing. And some of us have found success, you know, a little, a little more quickly than others. But, um, you know, I've read some of the stuff that they've got, you know, coming down, coming down the pipe. And, um, yeah, it's all going to be good. Yeah, I'm sure eventually everybody will, will get to that point. I mean, like you, you've been saying, uh, it's taken you 10 years uh, right. to get to this point. Uh, tell us about how you found Seth, your agent. So, um, you know, so I, I finished this book, uh, say 2006, 2007, somewhere around there, uh, right around when I graduated. Uh, from undergrad, um, and I thought, you know, this is it. Finish the book, sell the book. Now I'm Stephen King, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, which turned out not to be the case. And then uh, I got into an MFA program, um, as I said, thanks to my lovely wife, um, and you know, wrote some short stories there. Uh, worked on kind of my craft, uh, and then as my MFA thesis, I rewrote the book. Um, for the second time uh and i thought well this is it uh, my thesis advisor was amanda boyden um a a writer of some renown uh and she said you know she really liked it uh she offered me some some criticism and then she offered to put me in touch with her agent um and i thought well and, and as was kind of the uh refrain for the for that decade well that now it's it you know i'm <laughs> now now is the point where i've made it and i get to become stephen king 
Um, and that turned out not to be the case, you know, uh, you know, he had some suggestions and we didn't kind of meet eye to eye. And, and so I moved on, um, worked on some other things, worked on the book again, uh, got into Clarion West and really, uh, shifted some things around in my brain. Um, so I, I wrote another version of the book, uh, and then, um, you know, sent it out to some agents, didn't really get a whole lot of feedback. I got, you know, um, full requests and things like that. So it was kind of a, a, pro a progress, uh, but still <clears throat> no, no real traction. Uh, and then Les Howell, the, uh, director of Clarion West, when I went, uh, we were on kind of an email group with, with the rest of the, the class and people were talking about query letters and, and things like that. And I was at the point with the book where I was like, I'm, I'm moving on. I'm, I gotta, you know, I've been writing this thing for 10 years now. I need to write something new. I don't want to be that guy. Um, and, uh, so I was like, well, here's the query letter for this. If you want to try to, uh, if you want to talk about that and, and Les thought that the book sounded good, she asked if she could read it. Uh, she did. And then she said, you know, I have this agent friend. Um, I think he would be a good fit for you. Uh, and that, that turned out to be Seth Fishman. Uh, so I sent him the book, he made some suggestions. Um, and then I, I did the thing that I'm sure a lot of, uh, you know, first time trying to get an agent writers do, uh, I tried to change as little as possible because whatever, you know, quote unquote magic had caught his eye. I didn't want to break, you know? Right. So I, I changed as, as few things in the book as I possibly could to by the letter of the law, meet his suggestions. Um, and he, I sent it back to him and he came back fairly quickly and said, you know, it, it kind of looks like you changed as little as possible. <laughs> uh, so the, uh, so I said, all right, well, you know, let me, let me take another crack at it. And, uh, and then I did the thing that you definitely should not do. Uh, I vanished for a year. Um, I was teaching English at the time. I, uh, I had some, some real challenges in terms of what to, what to adjust. Uh, so it took me a year to, to make the changes. Um, and then I just, I showed up in his email box again and Hey, I hope, hope, it, <laughs> hope a complete year of silence hasn't been too long, but here's this book. Uh, and so he said, you know, we're really close. Uh, but you know, what if, what if you took out this one character? Um, and so over the course of Labor Day weekend, um, I didn't speak to a single person and I removed an entire character who was one of, uh, who was another character at the poker game. So that, that, that particular character was through literally the entire book, but also not really because it was pretty easy to cut them out. Um, so I removed an entire character and sent it back. Um, and then he was like, well, now, now I think we're ready. Let's, let's sign some paperwork and go on submission. Uh, and then the thing that's, that's not supposed to happen happened, which is, well, first off, I sold the book, um, but I also sold it really incredibly quickly. John Joseph Adams um, seemed to really like it um, and and got on a preempt. So, you know, it, it, it was a 10-year journey that, you know, sometimes you're driving and you look up and you're like, oh, we're here. Right. <laughs> it was kind of like that, you know, it was... Uh, I thought I had months and months of, you know, and, and I, I, in a way, it was kind of like once that mindset of, okay, this is it. Now I get to be Stephen King. 
once that went away, that's when things started to happen. Once it was like, well, okay, now it's not going to happen again. <laughs> it's like, well, well, I'm, I could, you know, do whatever I want to this book because Seth's not going to sign me. Or, you know, we can change the title of the book right before we go on submission because the editor's, you know, probably not going to buy it. And even if editors do buy it, it's going to take months and months of back and forth and changes and whatever. Um, and then a week later, I, I had sold a novel. So, uh it was it was kind of a, a whirlwind. There's something too that you know if you if you get your hopes up and you have all these, these expectations and and you're really focused on it and it doesn't pan out, but then you do the opposite thing where you're like, ah, eh, well, you know, I don't think it's going to work out, but if it does, right. cool, whatever. <laughs> and then you know, it's um, in my studies, it's called uh, getting rid of the lust of result. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I like that. Um, which there's really something too. Um, I found just in, in my life uh, with writing and, and uh, hell, getting on with the fire department, right. that kind of stuff. Uh, you put it out of mind, it, it seems to happen uh, more quickly. And you know, in. <clears throat> That's a much better way of wording it than give up on your dreams and maybe something will happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it puts it a little bit into better perspective, I guess. Um, man, I can't even imagine having to remove an entire character. Um, and you said you you changed the name of the book before you yes. went out and submission. What did it? What was yep. it called before? Uh, well, I'm not going to say that because it was bad. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had I had like three different titles, uh, you know, as I as I went through it, um, and um, so it, I didn't actually change the title. That's uh, Jack Gurner, the uh, Seth Fishman's assistant. He's the one who actually put that string of words together. Um, we we were my students were taking a, a quiz, <laughs> and I was emailing back and forth with with Seth and Jack and. Um, <laughs> they were they were like so so Seth was like, All right, we're ready to go on submission soon, which I thought meant in weeks, right? All right. Uh we're ready to go on submission soon. We just need to figure out what we're gonna do about the title. Um and he was like, Here's a list of things that are pivotal or important about the book and Jack came back with, Well, what about this, what about this, what about the city of lost fortunes? And I was like, I think that sounds great. Sure, whatever. Um, and then the next email I got from Seth was, okay, now we're on submission. And I was like, You're wait, like, what? what? <laughs> it was just a thought. It just crossed right. my mind. Yeah. Uh, but that's how Seth works. You know, if you, you know, once you say something, you're, you're moving ahead. So, well, I mean, uh, the title works, uh, you know, that you got, yeah, this, I think it's great. Yeah. Uh, I just can't take credit for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, it's a team effort. You know, everybody, everybody's trying to get this book out there. Uh, in, in, uh, my own journey into getting an agent uh, and also interviewing other authors uh, like yourself, I just pick up the knowledge of who represents who. And for the listeners mm -hmm. out there, if you don't know, Seth Fishman, uh, besides representing Brian here, also represents Anne Leckie, uh, who wrote Ancillary Justice, uh, Ancillary right. Mercy, all that stuff. Um, so and also uh, Sam J. Miller. Um, yeah, Blackfish City is uh, one I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I was lucky enough to get an ARC of it, and you should definitely look forward to it. It is awesome. I like that kind of stuff, man. Just, I, I mean, I say weird, but I say that in like a complimentary weird. I like right, weird right. stuff. Yeah, capital W weird. Right. <laughs> I love that stuff. Uh, so, yeah, John Joseph Adams, um, who's done all kinds of anthologies with like Joe Hill and. Uh, I, I own a big old vampire anthology that he edited, and he mm -hmm. runs Lightspeed Magazine, Nightmare Magazine, 
And right. uh, th- this is his imprint. I don't think he sleeps. <laughs> no, how could he? And heck, when he, he he'll reject you more than likely if you send him a uh-huh. short story. But at least he does it in two days. That, right. <laughs> that's right. the constant. It's like Clark's World. You're not getting into Clark's World, but at least you'll know right. in a day or two. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and his uh, his imprint, JJ Books, has put out some good stuff already. Um, um, Carrie Vaughn's uh, Bannerless is is really interesting, and um, I don't hear enough people talking about that book when I think they should be. Uh, and Molly Tanzer's um, Creatures of Will and Temper. Uh, it is kind of a gender-flipped uh, picture of Dorian Gray with uh, sword fighting and demons. Oh, awesome. Uh, and it's exactly as badass as it sounds. Um, so, yeah, that uh, and it's got a sequel coming out soon where I think it's in the Prohibition era. Oh, wow. Um, with, with demons. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, definitely, definitely pick those up, too. That's cool. Uh, now, Carrie Vaughn, she wrote the... Um Oh, what's it called? The Kitty at Midnight. The Kitty Pride book, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Cool. Bearless is uh is kind of a dystopian uh murder mystery. So like uh not really kind of a Mad Max dystopia, more of like the postman kind of dystopia. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> I, I've and, seen and, that movie, yeah, I know what you're talking about, Kevin Costner. Right. And so imagine imagine like a, a police detective in a community after the postman kind of apocalypse. Um, it's really good. I think that's a series too, actually, now that I'm thinking of it. Okay. What, what kind of marketing, um, strategy did uh, you guys want to do, or did you talk about that and how you wanted to kind of get the word out on the book? Cause I, I know with this podcast, this is just my idea. You know, I, uh, right. we talked about you coming on and I like, uh, spreading the the joy of other other authors but what what did you guys do, uh, decide to do I um I really don't know to be quite honest um, I haven't I haven't gotten into that part just yet I mean um, there are a couple of people at HMH who are who are doing those things um, but I get I get like a I get a, a very specific question can you do this thing um, which is months away you know and then I'll, I say yes or no and then that, that's it. So it, it hasn't really been like a, you know, we're gonna we're gonna target these things, or and I'm I'm sure those conversations are happening, um, but I think they're so interested in me finishing the second book. Uh, that they they're let, they're let, yeah, hands off is like just let them work. Right. We'll, we got right. this. Yeah, right. Well, tell us um, about the second book while while you bring it up. Um, so it's uh, it's still very much in the um, in my head and getting onto the page kind of place. So I don't want to say too much about it. Um, partly because I don't want to break what's in my head and partly because I don't know how much is going to actually end up in the book. And I don't want people to be like, well, you, you said, you, you said, said you were going to put a, 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 an alien in here and you didn't. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, but, um, so there's a, a character in the first book. Um, uh, so it's not a true sequel. It's the set in the same world, but, um, it's a different main character. Uh, there's a character in the first book uh, who some interesting things happen to her. Uh, well, I'll just tell you, she she becomes a psychopomp. Um, and for those who don't know, that is uh, the guide who leads a newly deceased soul into the, the world of the atherl- Yeah, I was just yeah. reading about psychopomps, man. That's so yeah. weird that you bring that up. 
<laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so she becomes a psychopomp, um, and she goes to collect a, a soul, uh, and he's not there, neither the, the body nor the soul itself. Uh, and so, whereas the first book was a murder mystery, this is kind of a missing persons, uh, mystery. So she's got to find this, this kid, um, because, you know, <laughs> kind of the whole balance of reality is based on you live, you die, you move on. And if he has somehow slipped through the cracks, that means that there are cracks and they need to kind of figure out what the hell happened. So, right. uh, so that's the second book. Awesome. Do you have a title for that one? Um, <laughs> City of Lost Souls. I have a, I have a title. That's actually pretty good. <laughs> um, Just, you know, um, not to make people think it's a, it's a direct sequel though. Right, right. Um, yeah, but no, the uh, my what I'm finding is that my titles sound really good in my head, uh, and then they don't really fit the book. So, um, no, no title just yet. I always come up with the title first. I don't. Yeah, yeah. it just kind of. Well, that's not true. Um, on one, I didn't. I was like, I don't know what the hell to call this. Robot Detective <laughs> Noir. Dot com. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and then it ended up. That's the thing. I I haven't been told uh, to change the the title yet. Um, right. On anything, thankfully. So, I, I don't so know. we were uh, we were kind of kind of broke when I was growing up, and so uh, we got some of my. Uh, we lived off of those uh, <laughs> those white label uh, government issued food yeah. sources. You know, where it, it just says peas on the can or, or it just cheese. says, yeah. like, you know, it's just cheese. Uh, and in a way, it, it almost seems like that would be um, <laughs> that would be uh, better for books. You know, just just a white. And I, I, I say this, uh, even though Will Stale did an, an incredible cover for my book. Uh, but, you know, just like a white cover with the words, you know, like you say, Robot Detective Noir. <laughs> right on the cover, you know? It just tells you exactly what it is. <laughs> that You know, that that might help authors kind of distill their plot because, you know, right. all my other books, my debuts, you know, Firefighters versus Dragons. Well, that's the first book that uh, is that simple to describe. Right. All the other ones was like, you know, all-female motorcycle gangs in space, Right, <laughs> and then, but then you have to add more because they're like, well, how are they getting space? You know, that kind of thing. Firefighters versus dragons is pretty, 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 pretty solid, pretty clear. Right? right, it's um, it's like that uh, that anthology that they just uh, put out, robots versus fairies. Yeah, it just tells you what it is right on the label, and it, you either go, you either hear that we have a short story collection, Robert, uh, you know, robots versus fairies. You either hear that and you go, no, nah, that's not for me. Or you go, when can I put that in front of my face? Yeah, <laughs> right? it's, it's a very clear line on, on, yes, this is for me or no. That's And right. to those people, it's not for them. What the hell is wrong with you? Right. Uh, yeah, and that's from Saga Press for uh, those listening and, and want to check that out. Um, I think we're going to wrap things up. And okay. I know <laughs> this is... Our second attempt at doing this podcast. Um, so you, you can repeat the same advice you gave uh, or you, if you thought of something else. But I always ask my guests, uh, for those listening, uh, what is some advice that you got? And it could be from Clearing West uh, or okay. from uh, UNO or just something you came up with yourself that either you wish you knew or you want other people to know as far as writing goes. Right. 
Um, well, you know, there's. I I I do have some. I do have what I said yesterday, uh, but I do want to say, you know, that there are so many. There's there's so much I could I could answer this question, you know, differently. I think maybe five or six different times, just because I've learned so many different things from so many different people. Um, but you know, I, I I'll I'll repeat what I said yesterday, which is. Um, when I was in the MFA program at UNO, um, I, I had the, the fortune of uh, taking a class or two with Jim Grimsley, uh, who's written you know across the board. He's written memoir, he's written plays, he's written um, science fiction. A brilliant writer. Um, and he told us one day, if you're not doing, if if you're not cutting brilliant prose out of your story. You're not doing the work of being an author, and it it took me back when he said that because it it's the kind of it's the kind of truth that I think you you want to shy away from, uh, and so I it I had to chew on that mentally for a while to figure out what he meant, uh, and I I think what he was what he was meaning is is this it's you know we all have those moments where by talent or by just pure blind luck, we hit that that perfect note, you know. And I, as writers, as a, to a to a point, if you're not born with perfect pitch, you know, you, I don't think you can. In, in terms of music, you can't really like develop it, but you can get close. Right. Uh, as writers, I think we can we get to a point where we develop kind of a a, a tone of a, a talent for pitch, uh, and you just know when it's when it, it's perfect right yeah um james uh john crowley does it once in a while where he just he has a sentence that is just like that's it you know you could you could take that sentence and just put it on the wall because that is the perfect way to describe that thing uh james lee burke in heaven's prisoners has a as a moment where he he describes uh driving across the atchafalaya basin and i read that you know about when i was starting this book and i was like i just don't need to describe that that experience because it's just so perfectly done in this paragraph you know and and so you you have those moments where and you know how special and rare it is that you want to clutch it you know yeah and if it doesn't fit the story you're trying to tell or if it doesn't necessarily convey even though it conveys perfectly this one thing if it doesn't suit the story to convey that thing it's got to go and, and and really, I think what what he meant by that was, you know, the story comes first, not your your beautiful crystalline prose, not your desires as a as a person or as a writer, you know, but the the thing that you are putting together, you know, like a it doesn't matter for a painter if you mix the perfect shade of cerulean. You know, if it's a stormy sky that you're trying to paint, it doesn't fit, you know? Right. Uh, and so that that really has, has been something that stuck with me. Just the idea that, you know, if that if that character's got to go, it's got to go. If that thing is, has got to change, it's got to change. Um, and you, you can't hold on to those things, rare and perfect and beautiful as they are, um, because you've got a different job to do, you know? I think that's a way more elegant way uh, to say kill your darlings. Right. Because when you say that, people don't really know what the hell you're talking about. 
Right. And that it makes people almost think, wait, so I have to go find the good stuff and cut that out? Right. No, it means if it doesn't fit. Right. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm totally big on, on story first. And I can't stand purple prose <laughs> at all, especially if it feels like they're they're just like uh, getting off on their own brilliance or whatever. Right. And you could tell, which is which. You know, I am. I'm. I'm. You know, if if the if the divide is kind of like, you know, are you a Hemingway guy or a Faulkner guy? I'm definitely a Faulkner guy. Um, but I agree. You know, it, if 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 it if it weighs too heavy, it weighs too heavy. You know, totally. All right, everybody. We've been talking with Brian Camp. His debut novel, The City of Lost Fortunes, comes out April 17th from John Joseph right. Adams Books. Available and, for pre-order everywhere. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do like to tell people to support their local bookstores. Yes, and in- independent bookstores if they, if they right. uh, carry it. Definitely. Awesome. Brian, it's been awesome having you on Cosmic Dragon. We wish your books and your career very well. All right, thanks a lot. It's been great. Thanks for having me.